Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of an out giving him lip. Oh, I say! It's amazing! He does it tame and tame and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! The Gary Weaver of ski jumping. Football words we never knew had been cancelled. Can your FA Cup journey consist of a single game in your own stadium? You can have a famous win, but can you have a famous lead? Ethan Ampadu with the cake underneath the icing. The pyramid doesn't lie. Stolen match balls at Premier League level. The longest ever delay between a goal being scored and the sound of the away fans celebrating being recorded. The it's just like watching Brazil threshold the most unresponded to stadium PA announcement possible, and it's Eccleshare versus Miller in Happy Hunting Grounds. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, this is the Adjudication Panel, and your panellists are as follows. Hello, Charlie Eccleshare, how's it going? Hello, very well, thank you. And Nick Miller, you're back again. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, how are you? Feels like we don't ask you enough. <laughs> I'm fine. Well, I used to and got taking the piss out of so much, so I stopped. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, it just okay. holds things up, doesn't it? Um, assume I'm fine until told otherwise. Okay. <laughs> Dave Walker still on his way back from Vegas. What looked like a heavy trip. So Miller deputising again. Tie of the weekend, Nick. What would you say? I suppose Arsenal, Liverpool. Or, or no, I, Sunderland, Newcastle. There you go. Okay. Charlie, your thoughts? I honestly don't really have one. I'm dimly aware that there was a game that there seems to have caused some upset that it wasn't televised. So I'll pretend I care and I'll go with that one. I'm going to go for Barney Rono versus Michael Cox over the origins <laughs> of the phrase back to square one on Twitter this morning. I did enjoy that. Yeah, really I sort of skimmed it. it. I've bookmarked it to go back later, mm. like, uh, like a long read. Great stuff going on there. References to hopscotch, snakes and ladders. My issue with that, Nick, is that I've never seen a version of snakes and ladders where you go down a snake back to literally square one. That seems harsh. Yeah. My kid would go mental. Uh, yeah, particularly onerous version of uh, snakes and ladders. I haven't seen this uh, argument who was taking the position that it was from that old the the map thing that was published in the paper for the first radio commentary? That was mm. the Rone position. I can I can confirm. Yeah, Coxie went full hopscotch in the end, which I really hope they end up settling it, Charlie, over a furious game of hopscotch somewhere. I would pay to see it. I really would. <laughs> Hopscotch account's going to get involved. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of paying to watch things, the Football Clichés live tour in February and March is basically sold out now. We're looking at about 95% of the tickets sold. So good luck getting one is the promo I need to do now. If you do fancy it, go to myticket.co.uk. I think Birmingham 
is still the place to go. Drive up there or drive down there. Depends where you are to see us in the flesh. Right, adjudication panel time. Very FA Cup heavy, but we start via Robin Evans. Here is some classic Eurosport content. Ski jumping from Innsbruck. He only needs 123 metres to go in front. But can he handle the, all the pressure that leading after the first round brings? Jan Hurl on his way to victory in Innsbruck. Oh, yes. What a day for the Austrians on home snow. He's only <laughs> ever had one other win on the World Cup Tour. I would posit, Charlie, that home snow is probably quite a common thing in winter sports, but it, I found it very funny. The Gary Weaver of skiing there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, could you? is it also not the soil? I mean, it's kind of both. Now, Nick, I'm no expert on these things particularly, but I would say to you that snow doesn't work like soil. Soil is under your feet the whole time and it, and it can belong to you in a sense. You know, you own the land, whatever. Snow, that's precipitation. That, that's the water cycle. That could move. That could cross borders. It's never going to be your snow. So you're saying that snow is transient, but soil yeah. is permanent. But yeah, we don't say home grass, do you? Home turf. Oh no, yeah. Well, yeah, but what what is turf? <laughs> Tur- is is turf not also soil? I mean, you wouldn't say like home rain. Yeah. Well, or maybe you would. Maybe say, I guess you would talk about the distinctive no. something rain. I've heard that before. Like if you ever go to San Sebastian, they'll say there is quite a distinctive type of rain. It's quite thin and just sort of like lingers around. Yeah, but you don't own it when it's on the ground. It wouldn't become yours. And why should snow be any different? I realise it's fundamental to skiing and ski jumping, but home snow is it fine? <laughs> home snow i like it in just like an exporting a kind of version of something we've heard before there probably are quite distinct types so i I can see what they're getting at fair enough fine powder of innsbruck if we are going to allow that let's move on to football phrases that have supposedly been cancelled without anybody knowing about it here's the first one this is sean dyche on roy hodgson and it's got a bonus dycheism for you in there fancy going on as long as roy no, absolutely not. I tell him every time I see him, I'll tell him again at the weekend. I'm Ray. I always say, what are you two doing here? But great operators, to be fair, great operators. Great football men, as they used to call it. <laughs> uh, we'll get on to the established dyshism in a moment, Charlie. But how do you feel about the idea that great football men has now been sort of passed into obsolescence? Yeah, I mean, clearly he's got to be in his bonnet about that because maybe football men has become less complimentary i mean it used to be so ubiquitous didn't it for english traditional types and now maybe if they're not held in quite such high regard he feels that you can't say anymore i mean you absolutely can say football man we've talked about it before though that it doesn't have to be an english thing it's just sort of become that he's definitely talking about a football cultural thing nick rather than going sort of full anti-woke yeah but come on it's underpinning the whole thing. <laughs> Fine. He's also nicked the thing that he, he said before about, you know, whenever I see him, I say, what are you still doing there? He's nicked that from Jurgen Klopp, or Jurgen Klopp said exactly the same thing a few weeks ago. Hodger must have people saying this to him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it must get quite annoying for him. Like, can you stop yeah. asking me that? I'm here to do a job for this football club. I'm only 76. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not dead. I'm still doing all right. Yeah. Come on. Ray's doing it all for me anyway. Speaking of which, Charlie, do you think either of them could be described as operators, as Dice did there? I love operators. It's such a funny word. Is Hodgson an operator? I don't really think of him as an operator, but you hear it in our industry as well. You'll hear it about journalists or editors. He's a, he's a top operator. <laughs> and I don't know exactly what it means. No, it's quite wide, isn't it? So maybe he could be. If it's just sort of a more kind of grand way of saying they're quite good at their job. Yeah. 
Because he's been operating at the highest level for quite a long time, Nick. So he is technically an operator. Because it does sort of imply it's in the realms of wheeler dealer. So, but I don't think it's necessarily transfer stuff. And it, you could be a really good coach and be a good operator. So Hodgson, arguably, I mean, he just doesn't make a big deal of it, which I think is against his operator credentials. Yeah, operator suggests someone doing the various different sorts mm. of that, that, that used to be, you know, involved with being a football manager. A manager is an operator, but a head coach probably isn't an operator. I agree with this. Charlie, proper head coaches, people who are just obsessed with being out on the grass, they probably sneer at the whole operator thing. It's just like, I don't I don't care about that sort of stuff. I leave that to the men in suits. But yeah, and, and then linked to that, I think behind the scenes people can quite often be operators because they're doing things quite efficiently and effectively, but you don't necessarily see them. So I think you you might hear it about I don't know, someone who works in the recruitment team or something, he's, a, he's actually he's a top operator. You know, he might not grab the headlines, but he's he's the one kind of, you know, making things happen. The quietly going about their business <laughs> award of the year. Right, yeah, okay. Second incident, Guy Mowbray said that we can't call them boots nowadays. I think it's shoes. Boot to boot. I don't think we could call them boots now, can we? Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people were quite confused by the, the idea, Nick, that the word boots has now been cancelled. How and why would it have been? Who, who calls them shoes? Nobody. Is that a nod to kind of like brand jargon that Nike now don't call them boots anymore? So technically, they're not. The only thing I could think of was, was that boots are sort of paper thin these days. You know, they're made of nothing. They're lightweight. I, th- I, th- I thought that mm, was a hint to yeah, that. Yeah. It never did be enough to cancel the word boot. I just don't understand where he's coming from. Yeah, it could be that. <laughs> sort of like they're unrecognisable yeah. from what we understand boots to be. So, you know, we've got to call them shoes nowadays. It, it, there is a fairly rampant thing at the moment, Nick, of commentators saying he can't say this perfectly innocuous <laughs> thing anymore. So I'm baffled. Absolutely baffled by this. I always had a sort of Jonathan Pierce's purview in my head. Didn't have Mowbray down as he can't say anything these days type. <laughs> He's gone really low level with that one. It's almost mm. imperceptible. I had no idea. Right. A, a triumphant return for footballers' names in things now. This is so good. I really enjoyed <laughs> this. Just for, for the setting alone, let alone the content. Came from <laughs> Ollie Stoneman. He says, I was in Ho Chi Minh City the other day. And I'm convinced this band is saying the name of a commentator as they cover Holy Diver by Dio. Look, both of you aren't having it, but he definitely shouts Martin Tyler. (laughs) Good to celebrate Martin Tyler worldwide. Uh, Nick, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he, gone but not forgotten. Well, not not even not even gone. He still pops up every now and then, doesn't he? So, yeah, on on the world feed. So yeah. I guess what listeners may not be able to appreciate, or simply will not be able to appreciate, in this clip is that the the guy who was recording this panned to the um, football on the big screen in the bar that he was in just for extra effect, which I thought was a lovely little touch. Mm. <laughs> right. FA Cup third round weekend, these are indeed the biggest talking points as far as I'm concerned. Let's start with the most pressing of all. After their 2-0 defeat to Liverpool at the Emirates, Nick, Arsenal tweeted, our FA Cup journey ends here. Lots of people (laughs) taking huge issue with this. Is it a journey? No, No, can't be. Can't be. Can you have a journey of just one step? Mm, Don't think so. Yeah, that was the main bone of contention here, Charlie. A lot of people saying, well, you know, they played at home. But yeah, I'm, I don't care about that because it's more figurative than that. I mean, you could play every round at home and it'd still be the FA Cup journey, right? Your FA Cup adventure. Yeah, yeah. 
people are quite triggered by Journey anyway. I know a lot of people find it ubiquitous and quite annoying. So this probably was the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people. Okay. But it does beg a wider question about the language of FA Cup adventures, Nick. Someone else asked me, what constitutes a run in the FA Cup? And this is a kind of universal thing. So, you know, no matter what round you're going in at, what constitutes a run? I would say you've got to win at least two ties. Yeah, I think three games, I think, is the... But it, does it matter how big a club or how good a team you are? Do you have to have played more games if you are, you know, Arsenal, for example, than Maidstone? Because could their FA Cup journey be shorter if they get further in the tournament? I don't know. Or is it just a hard like, number thing? No, I think that's right. I think there probably is a bit of give... And also, depending on how, what it was like, the journey, you know, what the journey was like. If you've sort of had to battle your way through a couple of replays and one of them was a big upset, you've got more grounds for only winning a couple of ties. I think if you're, if you're just a bog standard Premier League team and have a bog standard Premier League run, I think getting to the fifth round feels, I'm not sure that's a run. I think you'd have to. It's not quite a run, is it? Yeah, I think you'd have to get to the quarters for that to be a run. Okay, well, it leads on to the inevitable next question, Nick. You hear a lot of this for teams of a certain stature, especially in the Premier League at the start of the season, where their fans ask their club to give the Cups a right good go. What do they have in their heads when they envisage a club giving the Cup a right good go? Obviously, there's the not playing a weakened team, which I guess is one of the requirements, but how far should you go to be giving it a right good go? Or is it more nuanced than that? I don't know. But if, say, Burnley drew Liverpool in the third round and Burnley pick their first choice team but still lost will that not still qualify as giving it a go because they gave it a go they just didn't succeed i think quarterfinals is is giving the cups a right good go you have to get to the finals stage but i think it sort of exposes the fact that fans as much as they talk about all we want is to play good football what fans really want is to do well and to win stuff and have good results so i think like it certainly wouldn't be remembered as like well we did give it a right good go last season when we played a strong team but lost 2-1 2-1 at home to Watford. Well, this was my fear, Charlie, that giving the Cups a good go, the first base is simply just fielding a strong team in one game and that constitutes enough of giving it a go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, you. I think, I think Charlie's right. People aren't actually asking for giving it a go. They're asking, win some games, please. Yeah. Right, here's some quickfire FA Cup treats for you. First up, after his superb 23-yard rocket for Wolves, I use the... Uh, lines on the pitch for this one against Brentford on Friday night this was Tommy Doyle the official FA Cup account said just Tommy Doyle doing Tommy Doyle things some people might write in Charlie and say I've seen him score quite a few goals like that actually it's not enough it needs to be a publicly accessible body of work right was that from their official account did you say this was from the FA Cups official oh from the FA Cups okay yeah. that, no that's even weirder yeah that's, definitely that's, I was going to say because if it's Wolves then you might be like well the people following that are people who are going to probably be fairly across his body of work but for the general audience come on lads and, and to prove this theory well semi prove it Nick if I told you a week ago that we were going to witness Tommy Doyle doing Tommy Doyle things what would you have <laughs> had in your head like what, what's the first thing that pops up absolutely no, no idea <laughs> No idea. No, not not the first idea. I'm kind of loosely familiar with him as a player, but I've, I've no idea what a Tommy Doyle thing would, would look like. I was thinking like chasing back and giving away a free kick, but you know, <laughs> one that he would actually have taken because it stopped a good counter-attack. I don't know what a Tommy Doyle thing is. Absolutely no idea. Uh, but we can safely assume that they're usually good things, in fairness. Right, next up, Stoke versus Brighton. Brighton tweeting out uh, Stoke's equaliser to make it 2-2. 
62 minutes, they tweeted. Lewis Baker finds the equaliser. Charlie, this came from the penalty spot. Can you find a goal from a penalty? It feels wrong. And I think it feels wrong because it's so found. Kind of by something was lost and has been discovered. It, it's right there. Like the goal was basically already found. It was 80% of the way statistically to being found. <laughs> so it, just, it does. Exactly. There is something quite odd about that. Nicholas Pierce sent this one in, Nick, and he says it doesn't feel quite right. I do agree. I mean, you can mention goals in passing, of course, but, you know, it was a penalty. And finding a goal seems to me that it's come out of the blue a little bit. And as Charlie cites with the XG, it's simply not the case here. Yeah, there's an element of speculative, either against a run of play or a long-range effort. Well, yeah, because when you hear found a goal, you often hear out of nowhere. Those are kind of the next few words you often will hit that, you know, they found a goal out of nowhere. That this is obviously the exact opposite of that. You can find the corner, of course. Actually, quite, I really like find the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, good. Um, well, let's see what you think about this one. This came from Adam Widrington, who was watching Match of the Day highlights of Maidstone versus Stevenage. James Fielder on commentary. Hoisted in here. Still in there for Maidstone. And nearly rifled home. It has gone behind. It took a nick. And the home side have a corner. Sol Wanjo Smith knows how close he was there to giving them a famous lead. <laughs> We've talked about famous wins before, Charlie, but can you have a famous lead? I think you can. San Marino against England. Oh, wow. That's a famous lead. Fair play. I was going to ask you if you could think of one and you've come up with one straight away. That's exceptional. And, and a slam dunk as well. Very good. Very good. What other famous leads have there been? Uh, that's the one that comes straight to mind. I, uh... England in some kind of World Cup, like England against Brazil in 2002. No. Is that a famous lead? Yeah, we can't have that. I mean, it's not underdoggy enough, is it? But yeah, to, to remain with the spirit of famous leads, it should be a sort of, yeah, big shock. I'm, I'm still going to push back on you, Charlie. Uh, well, San Marino versus England is it's just the ultimate example of, of the counter-argument here. And James Fielden, who is one of the select group of commentators who have my number and I'm very scared about it, um, will be very appreciative of it. But can you declare it at that moment? I think you can. I think then we would have known with that San Marino one, we were watching something that was kind of going to go down in history. Famous lead. <sighs> this just seems such an odd thing to say. I don't know, but obviously not. Obviously not. James Fielden, you have survived to commentate another day. Let me see what you think about this one then. This came from Frontier Psychiatrist. It was Ethan Ampadu tweeting after Leeds beating Peterborough in the third round. He says, proud to captain the team today and top it off with two goals and an assist. <laughs> Frontier Psychiatrist asks Nick, can you top off being captain by creating or scoring all the goals in a 3-0 win? That's, <laughs> that's like caking the ice, putting the cake underneath the icing. Yeah. I'd also question, presumably the one he provided the assist for, was that Patrick Bamford incredible volley. So it's technically goes down as the assist, but you didn't really do the work in that in that goal, Ethan. So I would have maybe left the assist. Off. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean it, yeah, once you've done it. Statistically counts. Mm. Charlie, to maybe provide some mitigation here, he doesn't score many and obviously isn't, it's not his remit to create goals. Maybe he wasn't really that fussed and captaining the team was obviously, you know, a dream day for a player. It's always a proud moment. So maybe maybe that does take precedence. Yeah, it's a level of humility I can't associate with, but um, fair play to him. <laughs> Scored twice. Put that first. That's the headline. Madness. Right, next one came from Crotster. He says, on five live, they had a Shrewsbury player on 
who said they needed to prove the pyramid doesn't lie against Wrexham. <laughs> it makes sense, but I don't think I like it. Can the pyramid lie? <laughs> if the league table doesn't lie, why shouldn't the pyramid follow suit? No, because the whole point of the league table doesn't lie is because it's over the course of a big 38-game season or more. But the whole point of the FA Cup is that the pyramid does lie in an individual... But the pyramid is a result of seasons putting teams in the right place. Sure, but on a one-off basis, the pyramid can lie. <laughs> it's not going to keep lying over the course of a season because it gets eventually evens itself out, but it will tell lies. That's why we, that's why we love the FA Cup. Eccleshare, absolutely dominating proceedings so far, Nick. Uh, do, are you in full agreement? Yeah. Yeah, I can't and wouldn't want to argue with uh, Charlie on this form. Absolutely can't breach his defence today. Right, I've really enjoyed this one. No challenge for either of you here. It's uh, Nick Levitt spotted during Arsenal versus Liverpool as Ben White was taking the throw in. The ball had LCFC scribbled on it in pen. He says, isn't it great that Premier League teams are the same as grassroots teams and just inherit balls from other clubs? Watching teams warming up, I've always wondered about this. Like, they must pick up the other team's ball at some point. They just get them mixed up because they're, just, they're, just getting, they're, they're flying all over the place on the pitch. So it must happen. Okay. Perfectly acceptable theory. So, Charlie, that would seem to me to be the most likely scenario where balls just sort of get, you know, cross-inherited between teams. The thing is, it's an FA Cup ball. It's not a Premier League ball. It is also an FA Cup winter ball. It's an FA Cup yellow ball, a mitre one, branded with the FA Cup logo. Arsenal haven't played Leicester in the FA Cup since 2000, I believe. Um, Liverpool haven't played Leicester in the FA Cup in recent memory either. How did that ball come into the possession at the Emirates? I don't understand. I mean, this feels impossible, but has is it a Liverpool ball and they've just written... Have they written LCFC to mean Liverpool for some reason? Could C mean... No! Could, could, that's ludicrous. Could C mean something like a Liverpool training ball or something? Like, is that how they mark their training balls or something? Could be Lincoln City, of course. Damn, how would they even play Lincoln? And not in the, in the winter in the FA Cup. It narrows it down. So the only other explanation then, Nick, is that this is like a third-hand inheritance. So we have to, we have to find out the lineage of this. Or maybe there's like a central pool of FA Cup balls that are kept in a warehouse somewhere and they are then distributed as required. The clubs are supposed to send them back, but someone at Leicester has for some reason marked their initials on it. That's probably the most boring and likely explanation. It's a centralised ball distribution. <laughs> um, complete overmarking of it as well, Charlie. They wrote LCFC above the valve and LCFC below the valve. Why write it twice in, in the same postcode of the ball? And Very strange. Yeah. Very strange indeed. A mystery that I suspect will never be solved. Let's move on. Rob Barker was listening to this goal update from Coventry versus Oxford on Five Live. Back to Coventry again and Lee Blakeman. Oxford United have got one back, Coventry 4, Oxford United 2, substitute Tyler Goodrum through a crowd from the edge of the area, 11 to go is the fight back on, Coventry 4, Oxford United 2. Rob Barker asks Charlie, can a team get one back when scoring to make it 4-2? Shouldn't got one back only be used when the losing side scores their first goal? I think this is situation specific, personally. And emphasis specific, I think. I think if you said they've got one back... Then you're talking about the fact they've got one of the two or three that they need, in which case the scoreline's kind of irrelevant. I completely agree. Nick, this is how the game panned out up till that point. Coventry went 1-0 up. Oxford equalised straight away. Coventry then took a 2-1 lead straight away again. Then went up 4-1 early in the second half. 
Oxford then pulled that goal back. So I would say it's like a different phase of the game, different phase of the narrative of the score. It's essentially they had a new mountain to climb, I think is the best way of putting it. So that's all right, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it resets after 1-1. Yeah. And then, then they go on to be four in the lead. They've got one back. Yeah, that's fine. I think it's Yeah, I, th- I think it's okay to be liberal with this particular phrase, isn't it, Charlie? I think mm. I don't think we have to say it, you start at nil. No. Okay, good stuff. Next up, and this is absolutely superb, by the way. I've never seen anything like it, nor heard anything like it. Came from Ash. He says, I've just watched the highlights of Gillingham versus Sheffield United. Has there ever been a bigger gap between the ball hitting the net and the noise of the fans celebrating than after Sheffield United's first goal? This is going to blow your mind. It's an eternity. That's the that's the opposite of the well and some of the crowd thought that had actually gone in when it hits the side netting. They've all thought it's hit the side netting, haven't they? Three point eight five seconds, Charlie. <laughs> Amazing. Three point eight five seconds. There are a number of phases to it as well. I mean, is it a particularly misleading looking goal from any vantage point? It's from a tight angle and I th- I think they must have thought it's hit the side netting. I think from a presumably the fans are at the other end of the, the ground, so for anyone who hasn't seen the goal, it kind of goes in at the near post and sort of bounces out of the goal and sort of spins a bit and hits the post. So the first sign, I suppose, from if you were at the complete other end of the ground, the first sign that has actually gone in might have been the players kind of wheeling away to celebrate in the corner. Well, this is the thing. So often, Charlie, you look at these goals and think, okay, maybe it's the way that the ball went in that was misleading and caused the confusion. And then, of course, you've got the away end time delay, which we also have to factor in. But maybe it's just his casual wheeling away that went, oh, is he celebrating? I don't know what's going on there. Maybe that's what you look at to (laughs) kind of signify a goal before you start cheering. I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that is the trigger for them. Because the way the ball comes out, it's almost like it's being set up for a goal kick. There are so many elements to it that add to the deception. Goalkeeper just didn't look annoyed enough to have conceded a goal. Mm. I just Googled 3.85 seconds and uh, someone solved a Rubik's Cube <laughs> in the time that it took between that goal to go in and the fans to realise that a goal had been scored. That is the absurdity of that situation. I can't believe it. I actually cannot believe it. But that brings us to the end of the first half of the adjudication panel. We'll be back very shortly. Welcome back to the adjudication panel. That's the FA Cup drama taken care of. Uh, a few more bigger picture questions to take care of now. Charlie, you may remember this message we had recently about a referee using the phrase done a middle mm. to signify that they sometimes are on the line, but now they've they got the top job doing a middle. <laughs> Some further developments on this. That gaming question got called off. Subsequently, weekend just gone, that referee finally did indeed do their middle and as Max and Jack from Guernsey report, after 65 minutes, they pulled up with cramp. Wow. And there's a picture of a player administering <laughs> the cramp relief. So he wasn't ready to do a middle. Wasn't ready to do a middle. Oh, man, what a development. What a roller coaster. I know. Sad to see. There's <laughs> much more to add there, is there really? I've had this one on the um, on running order for a while. I've been waiting for the chance to use it, Nick. Ben Morse writes in says, what's the threshold for saying it's like watching Brazil? during a game when it comes to a slick bit of passing. 
I heard a fellow away fan at Cardiff versus QPR shout the aforementioned phrase after Cardiff completed a mere 1-2 around an opponent, and I feel that is far too hasty. That is far too hasty. I mean, I would set the threshold for it's like watching Brazil to be possibly even multiple games of good passing. Didn't Barnsley do it in 97, 98? Yeah, this is what I was going to say. It refers to a sort of broader body of work. But is it not almost, not ironic, but it's like an otherwise bad team going through a longer spell of actual good play or something. Barnsley, the one... Exactly, yeah. To, to, to the point where you would often see, frequently see fans in Brazil shirts in the in the crowd. Soccer AM, love yeah, that, yeah, yeah. as I remember. So, so, th- so this is peak irony, is it? This is football irony at its best or worst. Okay. This is always the danger that these things are sarcastic and that there's no real substance to it. Paddy Gavin follows up on that, Charlie, and says, I increasingly find the reference point of Brazil 1970 is the best, most fluid attacking team quite fascinating. Given that you'd have to be at least 60 to have any recollection of that team, unless you've watched grainy videos, is it time we update our reference points for a good attacking team, or does the historical clout actually make it more representative? Are you happy, in summary, with Brazil 1970 as being the metaphor for great attacking football? I mean, you have to kind of take it on trust, don't you, as well? Because there's not loads we know about that team relative to how much we know about like Pep's Barca or someone like that. It's that goal, really. I mean... That that's all I know of that team, and that's what the vast, vast majority of people. I mean, I feel like now Guardiola is a kind of modern day equivalent. When you're talking about a team, maybe in the lower leagues, playing really good football, or you know, it's like it's shades of peak Pep or something like that, <laughs> rather than kind of 1970 Brazil. Have they passed into legend enough yet? No, because they're quite, they're still quite current. Yeah, it's almost a modern. That's almost a yeah contemporary comparison. There's nothing in the intervening period for us to use, Nick. Well, Ajax 1995 always used to get mentioned quite a lot, but again, that's nearly 30 years ago now, so it's not exactly that Danish team of the mid 80s. Yeah, if, you, if you're going going really granular, it's just like watching Denmark 86. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I suppose it's you never use a team from your country. I suppose you could you could use Barcelona. I think. If from from an English perspective, I think, but not Man City. Yeah, it's a very distinct period. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that Pep Barcelona team, that kind of oh nine till eleven peak, is is probably acceptable. Niche question of the week comes from Sam Brenton. Nick says, which match day Tannoy announcement garners the smallest response from the crowd? Tempting to say opposition goal scorer, but I think the real answer is match day sponsor arbitrarily picking a man of the match for the home team when they've been on the end of a hiding. (laughs) In its detail alone, I think is a compelling answer. Yeah, but even that would, you would get a negative response. Risk of derision there, isn't there? Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say that gets dissent, doesn't it? Although it depends if it is someone who has tried quite hard, it might it might prompt I guess a like he's the only one trying or some sort of it might prompt complaints about other players. I suppose okay, it may even suppose. depend on who the player is that is given man of the match. If it's like a, a a young academy product who's who's a bit of a trier, then yeah, you know, no, yeah, good, good yeah. lad. He's, he's the only one giving it a go out there. I like the way that we're applying some sort of audio equaliser to the variables here to get it to zero. I think we managed it. I think we've actually nailed it. That is the lowest key Tannoy announcement possible. Even weirder scenes from JS Livesley. 
Next, Charlie says, at Palace versus Brentford the other day, when the ref came out for the second half, he did the sign of the cross on his body. Are we allowing this? Yeah. I mean, I suppose the same principle probably applies. Players want good fortune and so do referees. They want they want things to happen that are, you know, that they can solve. Well, in theory, the ref having a good game, in theory, will satisfy everyone. Whereas if you're a player, you know, asking for help from God, that's only going to Please, half the people watching. Sometimes a much smaller proportion. <laughs> they, need, they need the help just as much as anybody else. But the idea, Nick, of, of a referee playing a really good advance is lifting up his shirt and saying, I belong to Jesus or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be tremendous news. In less troublesome grounds, Rory was watching Arsenal versus West Ham recently, Charlie. And he says he asked his brother who the referee was. He says it was Michael Oliver. And he knew because his shirt was tucked in. I remarked that surely all referees have their shirts tucked in, which made me think, has the referee ever untucked their shirt? And more to the point, who is the most untucked shirt ref in the Premier League? That is really hard because it is almost a contradiction in terms. The referees are, they're there to tuck their shirts in, to enforce the rules. shirts, aren't they? They are the only, I mean, I think it would have to be more through untidiness a kind of accidental act, a kind of scruffiness rather than a sort of act of rebellion. Maybe like extra time. They're haggard. When players yeah. have their socks rolled down for extra time. When they're suffering from cramp. I don't think there's enough characters left in PGOMOL, Nick, there to be an untucked <laughs> shirt ref. And do you think they would get like bollocked for it? I would think like they'd get marked down for it. They probably would, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because even the, even the characters, the, the refereeing mavericks... You Mike Deans. He, he he's not an untucked shirt man, is he? Imagine he might do it in a flurry, in a kind of taking the piss. He might go up to a player who had their shirt untucked and sort of do a kind of performative <laughs> taking my untucking my shirt that everyone would love. Imagine the uh, three hundred and fifty word Keith Hackett column in the Telegraph the day after a referee <laughs> untucked his shirt. The absolute derision that there would be. Final question of the adjudication panel comes from George Stewart. He says, I was wondering, what's the most testing out the new rules slash technology football tournament? You could tell me they're trialling a new offside technology in the latest iteration of the Confederations Cup and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. I think the Confederations Cup purely existed for these purposes, Nick. Yeah, 100%. When you started saying the question that the Confederations Cup was the one that, that sprang instantly to mind, maybe some kind of under 17s euros or something like that but it's the confederations cup isn't it this was this was my other thought charlie is sort of yeah like an uh, an under 17s under 19s regional confederational sort of tournament but that, that would take the shine off it wouldn't it for you if you're heading there going right we're gonna win this but by the way we're just some guinea pigs for some rubbish little rule change <laughs> like sin bins or offside lines or something it would take the shine off it. this isn't proper football this is bullshit it's quite a novelty though you'd think it could be used as a kind of selling point for certain events we're going to be trialing out a few things. I'd probably be more likely to watch it. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, it takes the shine off it for me. Let's do some experimental competition though, because it's time for Happy Hunting Grounds. Nick Miller's debut in the Football Clichés quiz format. You're taking on Charlie Eccleshare, who has already lost twice this season to Dave Walker. Have I? Yes, you have. That's no. according to the records. Yeah, I think there was the Zaha incident and then he did a follow-up <laughs> yeah. heroism. But that didn't win it for him. Did it not? Well, no. my spreadsheet says that he's won twice. My spreadsheet is clearly full of shit. Yeah, I've won two to his one. Is that right? I'll update my spreadsheet <laughs> accordingly. You are on a roll today with the corrections. Sensational stuff. Fine. Happy for the record to be corrected. And it's time for Happy Hunting Grounds. The format is as follows. You're going to get three questions each, choosing a difficulty level for each question from one to ten. I'll give you a combination of Premier League club 
and Premier League stadium that corresponds to that difficulty level. And you've got to name a player who has scored for that team at that stadium and the season in which it happened. The difficulty level will determine how many points you can win between 1 and 10. Half of those points will be for naming the player and half of those points will be for naming the season. The most points after three questions wins. Let's begin with you, Charlie Eccleshare, seeing as you're supposedly the uh, dominant force in Happy Hunting Grounds on the Clichés pod this season. You're going to get three each of these. Charlie, what level do you want to start with? How much pressure do you want to put Nick under straight away? Mm. I'll try a three. You're going to try a three. Let's spin the wheel that nobody can see on level three. And that is Aston Villa at Highbury. Uh... Okay, I think I've got one. Okay. Thomas Hitzelsperger in 0203. Thomas Hitzelsperger in 0203 is correct. 64th minute at Highbury. Comes back for Arsenal, but they were slow to pick up Hitzelsperger. And they paid a hefty price for that. Nick, pressure's on you straight away. Charlie's gone pretty big first round. What level are you going for to stay in the game? I will... Take a three as well. Level three for you, Nick Miller, is Leeds United at Villa Park. Hmm. I don't really know why, but Eric Backer has uh, popped into my head from, I'm going to go 97, 98. Uh, Eric Backer is not correct, sad to say. Not on my list, at least. So, Charlie, you lead 3-0 after round one. Are you going to turn the screw in round two? I'll go for a two. Thought you might. Okay, here comes level two for you. In theory, easier than your first question. Level two will be Aston Villa again at Anfield. Aston Villa at Anfield for two points, if you can give me a scorer and a year. I've got one, but I feel like it might have been VAR'd. (laughs) <laughs> the first ever can't remember if it was scored that, this is going to be the new bugbear for VAR you can't, can't celebrate know. goals now because you don't know if they're going to be I can't remember them properly for hunting grounds uh, so let me just try and think of another one um, this is 5-0 Charlie yeah I'll go that's the one I'm thinking I just oh, I feel like it might have been disallowed but then did he get another one later uh, Ollie, Ollie Watkins last season incorrect I'm Fuck! Watkins with a puff of the cheeks and sends a penalty horrendously wide. Jacob Ramsey scored fast in Villa at Anfield. I'm afraid. Right. Charlie's lead remains at 3-0, but Nick, you have your second go. What are you going for? I'm going to have to go for three again. I need to, need to draw a level. Okay. Right then, level three for Nick Miller. Can he pull level in round two of three? Here we go. Burnley at Stamford Bridge. Ooh. Burnley at Stamford Bridge. Didn't they they win there a couple of years ago? Uh, I've got Maxwell Cornet in my head. (laughs) Haven't we all? Constantly. I'm going to say, yeah, Maxwell Corney, 21-22. Sadly not. Sadly not, Nick. The score remains 3-0. It's the last round of Happy Hunting Grounds. Charlie Eccleshire in a commanding position. But what level are you going to go for? I mean, the ones are really... 
That would that would leave him needing a five to win, which should be quite hard. Right, I'll go one. Okay, interesting. The icing on your cake. Here we go. This is for a four nil lead. Chelsea at Old Trafford. Chelsea at Old Trafford. Okay. There must be tons. Um I think you've gone too low here. I I, I, I would yeah. to get a level four. Before would level it, assuming I yeah, I know, but still deny you the victory, which is satisfying enough. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I guess we'll see. Now, Chelsea at Old Trafford in Premier League history. That goal was given. The Drogba 0-9-10, the offside goal that kind of won Chelsea the league. 78th minute, Old Trafford. You are correct. For Drogba, onside, second for Chelsea. He's off from, from where I am. We shall see. It's certainly beyond the two centre-backs and we have to look again and see if one of the full-backs or a midfield player had dropped in, but he looks for all the world. When this is played, he's, he's offside. Charlie Ocochet leads 4-0. Nick, you need a level five to win it. I strongly recommend you go for five and not for four because we don't want to do any more of this. <laughs> yeah, death or glory. Level five. Lovely stuff. Level five. Here we go. Nick Miller to win it. Walker style. West Ham United. At the King Power. Doable. Feels like the sort of game you would have been doing a match report for the indie <laughs> for. And... <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. Hope so. West Ham United at the King Power. How much have you got to play with there, I wonder? Hmm. 4-0. Could it become 5-4? Or 4 to 2.5, you know, to make it respectable. So now I don't know whether I'm just remembering things or just imagining new goals in my head that uh, you know may have taken place there. I'm going to say Mikel Antonio last season. Oh, Fuck. sadly not. Mikel Antonio is correct. 2021 uh, for him. That gives you a two and a half points yeah. at least. No, I'm on the um, board. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, you've got two and a half back. But yeah, Charlie prevails, of course, uh, for what he understands to be his third win of the season in Happy Hunting Ground. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought you'd left it dangling there for him, but um, you did just enough. Well done, Charlie. Thank you. Uh, well battled, Nick. Thanks very much. And uh, hopefully you'll both be back to play again another day. We'll do a Happy Hunting Grounds live at some point as well. Logistics. Just proving scheduling, just proving initial, but it was such good fun the last time, so we can definitely do it again. Great adjudication paneling as well. Thanks to you, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you. Thanks to you, Nick Miller. Thank you. Thanks for everyone for listening. <laughs> tremendous stuff, tremendous contributions this week. We'll be back on Thursday. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.